Welcome to $100 Plus Mileage, the podcast that gives you the inside scoop on New Hampshire legislation. Our state representatives vote on about 1,000 bills every year, so there's a lot going on that you might not know about. From littering fines to scuba lobstering, we unpack the pros and cons and tell you how you can share your opinion with legislators. I'm Mike Dunbar, content editor for Citizens Count. And I'm Anna Brown, director of research and analysis for Citizens Count. As you said, Mike, we unpack the pros and cons, but today's bill doesn't have a whole lot of cons, if I'm being honest. Or anyway, not a lot of cons that came out in the legislative process. It obviously caught my attention anyway, and I think we could all benefit from some good stories coming out of the political process these days. I am so ready for some heartwarming public policy for a change. Let's do it. Let's start with the story behind this bill. In 2018, K-9 officer Sean Gannon of the Yarmouth Police Department and his partner, K-9 Nero, went to a house in Barnstable to serve an arrest warrant. They couldn't find the suspect on the property. When they were searching the attic, the bad guy shot Sergeant Gannon and K-9 Nero. There was a long police standoff before the murderer surrendered. Sergeant Gannon was rushed to the hospital but did not survive. Then we get to Nero. So this was the K-9. He was shot in the face. The bullet was lodged somewhere in his body. He was bleeding out and struggling to breathe. There were multiple ambulances on site, but none of them could legally help or transport Nero. They weren't vets, ambulances are for people, yada yada. But these cops see their canine partners as just that, partners. So a senior officer made the decision to place Nero in the backseat of his cruiser and find a vet. A doctor from the SWAT team volunteered too and actually intubated Nero with a drinking straw in the backseat. The officer who put Nero in his cruiser showed up to testify in the legislature And watching his story was so compelling and emotional. I can't imagine what that ride was like. And here's the good news. Nero survived. If you want to see pictures of him in recovery, Google has a few. They couldn't retrieve the bullet from Nero's shoulder, so he was forced into early retirement. Ugh, poor Nero. Oh my gosh, this is such an awful story. I'm I'm waiting for the heartwarming part, Anna. Come on. I know, I know. Well, there are lots of heartwarming dog pics, which unfortunately we cannot portray in podcast form. So yeah, and also let's be real, I'm focusing on Nero's survival, but there's also the horrible tragedy of Sergeant Sean Gannon's death. So his parents, Patrick and Denise Gannon, have honored their son's memory by lobbying for state laws that allow EMTs to help canines like Nero. Thanks to their work, last year Massachusetts passed a law that allows emergency services personnel to treat and transport police dogs. And this year, the Gannons worked with Senator Lou D'Alessandro, a Democrat from Manchester, to pass a similar law in New Hampshire. That bill is named Max's Law, honoring a Portsmouth police dog that was killed in a training accident. Now, you said there weren't many cons to this bill. I have to imagine there was a lot of support at the public hearings from the law enforcement community. Absolutely. Members of New Hampshire law enforcement, emergency services, and the veterinary community all showed up at both the House and Senate public hearings to testify in favor of Max's Law. They spoke to how police dogs save lives heading into danger before their human partners. However, there are no veterinary first responders to treat these canines in the field. And in rural areas, veterinary treatment may be even farther from the scene. There's a great quote from the Senate floor from Senator Bill Gannon when they voted on this bill. Quote, we owe it to these dogs in blue to provide them with the same, with every possible chance to survive, he said. And this legislation is going to give them that chance. No one showed up to testify against this bill. But there are some lingering questions we can bring up. While EMTs may be able to provide basic care to a canine, neither they nor canine handlers are likely to have training in canine first aid. Massachusetts, in contrast, has a new requirement for EMTs to complete training in basic life support for dogs. Nothing like that was introduced in New Hampshire. 
During the public hearing in the New Hampshire Senate, there was also some discussion over whether the law should cover comfort dogs. While some New Hampshire police canine units include comfort dogs, those dogs may not be trained to face hazardous situations. And the final text of Max's law does explicitly include comfort dogs. I have to imagine this bill ensures that dogs aren't getting ambulance rides before humans, though, right? Oh, definitely. There are a few exceptions here. Emergency services can't treat or transport a canine if a human needs help. The animal also must be injured in the course of their official duties. And the law protects emergency medical services units from liability if they choose to treat or transport an animal. Max's law already passed the House and Senate and is now waiting for a signature or veto from Governor Chris Sununu. With everything you've said, Anna, I'm pretty sure he'll sign this one. But if you have an opinion, listener, you can always reach out to the governor's office and let him know what you think. That brings us to our closing segment, Only in New Hampshire. Anna, what's up with New Hampshire lore this week? I'm sticking with the crime theme today, and I'm going to tell you about Frances Glessner Lee and her, quote, nutshell studies of unexplained death. Frances Glessner Lee was an heiress born in 1878 in Chicago. She wanted to follow her brother to Harvard Medical School, but instead her father married her off to a lawyer. The marriage was rocky. I couldn't find exact details, but she definitely tried to leave multiple times and then ultimately divorced him in 1914. After World War I, she moved east, splitting her time between Boston and her family's vacation house in Bethlehem, New Hampshire. For a while, she ran an antique shop in New Hampshire with her daughter. In 1929, she went to Massachusetts General Hospital for surgery and reconnected with a childhood friend who was also there for treatment, George McGrath, who was now a medical examiner. While they recuperated, he entertained her with all the grisly details of the cases he worked on, from accidental molasses drownings to murders. He also talked about the lack of training and qualifications for medical examiners. And this was her new calling. She started reading up on criminology. She gave Harvard money and books for legal medicine. And then back in Bethlehem, New Hampshire, she started creating dollhouses. And this was not an uncommon hobby at the time. But she took it to a new level. Each dollhouse was a meticulous crime scene, complete with nail polish, blood spatters, pin-sized bullet holes. There was a pencil at one point that was made of a toothpick that had lead in it. And she even burned down half of a miniature cabin with a blowtorch when she had like a flaming death. So the dollhouses were also accompanied by case notes and witness statements so they could be used to train future investigators. In 1943, the New Hampshire State Police actually named Frances as their educational director and commissioned her as a captain, after which she liked to be referred to as Captain Lee. Wow. How has nobody made a Netflix series about this yet? She sounds like a completely wildly fascinating woman. I mean, a divorce at that time in general obviously would have been very difficult and less common. And then, yeah, she has this whole second life related to criminology when women aren't even really in law enforcement to any extent. And then the flippin' dollhouses, which are also works of art, I may say. There have been exhibits. Some of them are still used for educational purposes to this day, and then others you can just look at. I mean, I'll be honest, if I had heard about this during COVID, I might have found myself a new hobby. Yeah, I could I could absolutely see this being something that you got into, Anna, in your free time. Maybe, you know, there's still time. Why not? Well, in the meantime, that wraps it up for this episode of $100 Plus Mileage, but you can find more information and episodes at citizenscount.org. We'd also like to thank Franklin Pierce University for producing and the Granite State News Collaborative for hosting. Our theme music is composed by Mike Dunbar. Lastly, we thank you for giving us a listen and thinking about how you can be part of what makes New Hampshire by the people, for the people.